far too much really, really excellent advice in the form of, say, a financial plan ends up getting shoved into drawers and never acted on. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am honored today to have a fellow author and somebody who works in the field of financial psychology join us. It's Dr. Maura Summers, and she's here to bust a myth wide open. Uh, Maura and I originally met at the Purposeful Planning Conference in Denver about five years ago. And the Purposeful Planning Conference is, is kind of a unique experience where people come together from all different disciplines and talk about the connection between money, emotion, and financial services and wealth management. Uh, and since that time, I've really followed her career and her work because she um, does some really brilliant stuff. She's a great speaker. She's an executive coach, a behavioral change expert. And her new book, Advice That Sticks, How to Give Financial Advice That People Will Follow, recently came out. So I wanted to uh, have her on the Breaking Money Silence podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Yeah, I think it's great to uh, connect and to chat. And I love the money myth that you brought today. Uh, Let me just say what it is, and then you can tell us a little bit as to why you picked it. Uh, Financial advisors are experts at giving advice. And I just want to be clear, this is a myth. Financial advisors are experts at giving advice. So tell us a little bit as to why you picked it. It does seem really counterintuitive, I know, Uh, But the fact is that financial advisors are so highly trained in the the technical aspects of what they do, things like taxation and um, the the various products that are available and who they are best meant for. They're good at uh, understanding the regulatory um, guidelines uh, for the profession, tax laws, They have so much expertise, but the one area of expertise that most of them lack is actually in how to give advice. How crazy is that? It is, because you think about, uh, oh, I have a financial problem, I need to go talk to an advisor, and he's going, he or she is going to give me advice. And so, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book, Breaking Money Silence, and a lot of my work is about the human side of finance versus the technical mm-hmm. side of finance. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like your myth is financial ad- advisors are experts at giving advice. Um, it would be more the human side of finance advice. Am I hearing you correctly? That's right. That's right. You know, if we could just receive um, wisdom and knowledge like it was some gumball out of a machine that we could just pop in our mouth and integrate uh, into our circulatory system, then all would be well. But the fact is that advice has to land on receptive hearts and minds, and it has to be tailored to the individual. 
it has to be followed up so that uh, it actually gets implemented, and it has to be tweaked along the way because sometimes uh, people's lives change, and advice that would have been great for them even a few weeks ago can change in a heartbeat um, because of a big change in life event. So if that is a myth, um, you know, why do you think we all buy into this as a society, or at least the industry buys into the idea that uh, financial advisors or experts are giving advice? Why do we, you know, how does that serve us? And then more importantly, how does it get in the way? Well, I think this is the, the, the way that medicine used to be years ago, when the model was that you would go to this equally technically proficient expert in the form of a physician, and he too would dispense the medical gumball uh, that you were supposed to, to go home and follow. But what became apparent, especially once um, we got into things like uh, antibiotics um, or, or really tailored medicines, was that selecting, learning how to select the best medication, Kathleen, was only half the battle. The other half of the battle, um, and perhaps even the, the, the more difficult part of the battle, was, was making sure that patients took it, that they filled the prescription, that they took it as prescribed, that they took it to the end, that they knew how to deal with the side effects, uh, and that they, could, they knew when to, to come back, what signs to look for, that it was or wasn't working. There was a whole bunch of... Uh, things that had nothing to do with the actual medication choice itself, but that really uh, affected patient outcome. And so within the field of medicine, there's been this really big sea change, understanding that uh, it's not enough to know the technically right thing. You have to view yourself as a partner with the patient in making sure advice gets implemented. And what I really hope is to introduce that same sea change uh, within the field of financial advising because far too much really, really excellent advice in the form of, say, a financial plan ends up getting shoved into drawers and never acted on. So really it's about partnering with the client, and I'm guessing, so correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like part of that is being an effective communicator, but there's also, it sounds like, a piece around being either a coach or a behavioral change coach. Tell tell me a little bit more about what you think would be involved for, for advisors to get to a place where the majority of them are giving good advice. Well... You know, if we're talking about partnership, I want to emphasize that clients have a role in this too. Um, We know from years of studying this problem now that clients often fail to disclose um, truthfully, (laughs) Um, that clients fail to say, I don't have a clue about what you just said to me. They'll just nod and smile and go off and (laughs) then find somebody that they can understand and often not somebody who's not nearly as technically skilled as the person they just met, but at least the person could make himself or herself understood. So it really, when I say um, partnership, I do mean that it's a two-way street. In terms of what advisors need to learn to do differently, it really... Um, it involves everything from learning how to ensure that the message they are wanting to give is actually understood, 
one of the things that uh, consumers tell us all the time is that financial advisors have way too much jargon in in their meetings. And so clients rapidly can start to feel stupid, and nobody likes that feeling. Uh, and so they'll just nod and smile, but as I said, uh, not not be able to implement because they don't understand the why behind the advice that's being given. So there are a number of key behaviors that if advisors could change, stop doing, a few that they need to start doing, um, there would be a real difference in uptake of that advice. Now, do you find that there's any resistance in the industry to start to make this change? You know, I I, th- I think all of us um, who give any kind of advice for a living, um, or, or even, you know, if you're a parent, there comes a point where you just kind of throw up your hands and say, fine, whatever. Um, I often joke that uh, patient bashing has been a, a beloved sport in the medical profession for centuries, and I think it's, it, it's, it's kind of comforting to resort to, I gave them, I told them the right thing to do, and they just won't do it, um, and to walk away. But you know, that's that's really tragic in a lot of ways. It's bad for advisors' business to be um, unskilled um, and to lose clients that they that might otherwise be perfectly good clients for them. And it's tragic for, for the clients who who aren't helped in a way they could be helped to reach their goals. So my goal uh, in, in writing the book that I did was to move out of the domain of kind of blaming and and thinking that technical proficiency was all that mattered um, and really helped to develop some very concrete skills that could, could change the way the practice for the advisor unfolds and could change the way the client's lives unfold. So let's um, hear about a few of those skills. So if an advisor is listening in right now, I think it would be good for he or she to hear those skills and also for consumers who are looking for advisors who can really help them with a holistic approach to financial planning. Mm. Um, you know, probably that the one that I mentioned just a few minutes ago is, is one of the most important things is getting rid of jargon is making things as simple as it is possible to make them. We all suffer once we go to school and are trained in, in a, our given profession. We suffer from something that's been called the curse of knowledge. And that is that, you know, once you've learned how to do something, you kind of forget what it was to not know how to do that thing. And you, you let that specialized vocabulary seep into your seep into your dealings with your client. You know, one time I watched my 5-year-old try to teach my octogenarian mother how to work a mouse for a computer. Um, for that 5-year-old working a mouse is is just it, it's bread in the bone now. It's what he has known how to do since he was just little enough to kind of swat the thing around. 
but for my mother, who was, who was non-native to technology, she couldn't begin to understand. He was just whipping around way too quickly, and what was intuitive to him, he couldn't begin to explain to her. And so we have to try and work out what is it like for somebody who's not financially sophisticated um, to understand this concept. Well, and I think the tricky thing, I'm going to just jump in here because I have Mm -hmm. have a thought Mm -hmm. about this. I think what's tricky uh, for the expert is, or the advisor, is to think about how do you do that in a way that's not placating? Because I know a lot of women Mm -hmm. uh, who I work with um, will say, oh, you know, that advisor was really placating, or I felt like he was patting me on the head. And I think the intent is always usually well-meaning, but Mm -hmm. the result cannot be the result that you want. So I certainly agree, losing jargon, but it's a hard kind of balance for people, I think. It can be. I I would say that placating is um, probably not so much a language issue or a conceptualization issue, but more of of an attitudinal one. Um, And, you know, uh, there's probably a whole lot of assumptions in there about what the little woman needs to know kind of stuff that they're picking <laughs> yep. up on. Um, and that, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, one of the experts at, at this simplifying of complex ideas is, is probably Carl Richards. Oh, I love his work. Yeah. So he's the guy who does those little cocktail napkin sketches that appear in, I believe it's the New York Times every yes. week, about financial behavior. Um, and he and I have talked at length about how if you, if you can't get your, the financial plan onto one page, then you haven't done your job. Susan Bradley at the Sudden Money Institute um, teaches her students in the Financial Transitionist Program how to do these one-page plans. And obviously, there are still a hundred pages of documentation <laughs> and all of you know the technical expertise that goes into it. That still needs to be on file. But what happens time and time again, we hear from the advisors, is that clients take that napkin sketch or that one-page plan, and they they refer to it as that paper. That's the one they resonate to with. Um, that's the one that they that sticks in their mind. It's memorable. It's it's got everything on that page in a way that connects with what they have said are their goals and their struggles. You can't necessarily do an entire life plan on one page, but you don't usually tackle an entire life uh, all at once. You you rule things out in stages. And so that's a really good way to make sure that people are connecting with what you're saying as the advisor. So I'm curious, because you're a neuropsychologist by training, is there brain science behind how much or, or, or theories about how much we can actually process the information? So the, the, the lack of jargon, the simple plan, it, it, is there science behind that too? Absolutely, Kathleen. One of the one of the really common mistakes that advisors make is thinking that people who are more educated will be able to remember more. And the research on it is quite intriguing. It turns out that greater education does actually allow for greater comprehension during the meeting, but it doesn't have 
any or it has very low correlation with how much people retain afterwards. Interesting. That makes me feel better. Well, <laughs> I always feel like I'm following along and then I'm like, yeah, when, what did they say? <laughs> exactly. So you, you knew it at the moment, but getting it into that long-term memory uh, is, is helped uh, by very different processes than just, than just an intellectual understanding. It's helped by some basic things like repetition, but it's also helped by connecting to meaning and emotion. And when you, when you capture something that's on somebody's heart, um, you really do allow, set them up to remember it better and to tap into their own inner motivation for actually implementing what it is that you've suggested. That's great. So you've mentioned a, a few things that uh, financial advisors or professionals who are listening in can listen, uh, can kind of take in, excuse me, and think about doing. Um, certainly, I encourage them to check out your new book, Ad- Advice That Sticks, How to Give Financial Advice That People Will Follow. I also wonder uh, more if you could just think about, you know, we talked about the partnership and it also being mm-hmm. the consumer. And so somebody listening mm-hmm. in who's a consumer, what can they do to... I mean, it's not their job, right, to make sure that the financial advisor is giving good advice, but is there anything that they can do that can be helpful in building that relationship or finding an advisor that has these skills? Yeah, for sure, Kathleen. Um, I, think, I think we all can do a better job of disclosing what it is that we, that we have, of what it is that we want, and of, what, of where it is, how it is that we struggle. Oh, here's a really common dilemma. We might know that we need to stop supplementing our adult children's lifestyle. Ooh, that's a juicy one. <laughs> There's a juicy one. And so we can agree with an advisor who says, look, this has to stop or, you know, your own retirement is going to be in jeopardy or I'm really concerned about the impact for this adult child's um, self-sufficiency, you know, we can agree to that and say, yep, yep, I, I know I need to do this. But if we don't walk away with any greater skills in knowing how to, how to assert ourselves, how to hold the line, how to draw firm boundaries, um, how to deal with the blowback that is inevitable when you say no to somebody that you've said yes to for decades, um, then we're not really being a partner in that relationship. So, in other words, we have to really um, be frank with the advisor about what it is that we know is going to get in our way. And the advisor, in turn, needs to, to be very frank about asking that discussion, about normalizing the fact that things get in the way. And the advisor equally has to be prepared to offer suggestions for how to overcome those problems, offer the names of really good contacts uh, in the community, maybe therapists or lawyers who could help deal with estate issues or family business transfer issues. Somebody, in other words, who, who will be able to help the client overcome the very real barriers that they face in implementing what they know they should. 
And what, you know, in some ways, what how that can free people up, whether you are the client or whether you're the advisor, is you don't have to be all things to all people. That I think if we could all get a little bit more transparent about this is what I'm really good at, this is where I struggle. Mm-hmm. And I know um, in with my newer relationship with a financial team, my husband and I changed about six months ago. And one of the things I said is you have to keep us accountable because I talk a really good game. I said, but then... You know, it'll go underground. It won't happen. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then an email comes in and it says, oh, don't worry, no rush. And I email back, go, no, no, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to rush me, but you do. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. me. A deadline's going to go a long way. And my mm-hmm. husband and I kind of accomplishing this financial task. So really what I'm hearing is that transparent um, communication is really key. And that also I feel like your work is so where the advising field is moving towards. So it's exciting because it complements the breaking money silence work. But it's also about how do we move from being transactional and experts to being coaches and being more relationship oriented. So I'm really excited about the work that you're doing, uh, both for the advisors as well as how the clients uh, will benefit as well. Well, thank you. It's fun work to do. It's fun work to do. And it you talk about having to hold yourself accountable. I, you know, I, I go underground for long periods at a time. It must drive my advisor crazy. It's really hard to interpret silence. I know that as a clinician. When I get busy, uh, when I'm traveling, I often just ignore messages from my financial advisor. Um, And I know as a clinician just how frustrating it can be to have a client go AWOL on on us for for weeks or or even months at a time. It's hard to interpret silence. You don't know what's going on. Have you have you annoyed them? Have you uh, have they fired you but just not told you? Are they struggling? are the corpses of their slowly desiccating bodies, <laughs> they, have they not yet been discovered? <laughs> What's going on w- with these long periods of time of no contact? So, you know, to be able to say to the advisor, um, look, I get busy, I get distracted, I-, I can ignore an email till kingdom come, but a phone call is a way better way to reach me. And so the advisors and the clients need to find ways to kind of make sure that they know each other well, that they're not left to just guess, that they directly ask and directly tell uh, what they need. We can all get better at that. Absolutely. And I love that you highlight that you can be an expert at something. You can have an insight into your behavior, but changing it is a whole different ballgame sometimes <laughs> from one expert to the next. So thank you so much for coming on today. I really love this collaborative model. You're talking about this new book is Advice That Sticks, How to Give Financial Advice That People Will Follow. All of the advisors out there, definitely buy yourself a copy. Check out uh, Dr. Morris Summers at the next conference she's speaking at. And thank you again for all the great work that you're doing. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be your colleague. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.